Well, once again, now at the close of the Lord's Day, it is blessed to greet you in our Savior's name and to be together with you in the Word of God in the 13th chapter of Luke. I was telling Pastor this morning after the service that I did not see the clock. It's right down here in front of me. In front of me. Uh, that shows, me just, shows you just uh, how bad my seeing is getting. Uh, but it was so much more pleasant to look at your faces. How's that? And uh, so I'll pass that one along. Instead of looking at the clock, we, um, where I preached for 30 years, had a digital clock on the pulpit. And one day the battery uh, went dead. Uh, and so I let the folks know that was the case, uh, but then feared that there might be an avalanche of people hurting themselves trying to get to it and replace it. And so uh, we let that one pass by. But um, uh, if, if I preach too long, it's not my fact, it's not my fault, it's yours. You listen too long, I'll put it that way. And uh, so if you get up and walk out, it won't be the first time. Uh, but uh, it's wonderful to be with you tonight, and I'll try not to break any other rules um, and uh, try to make sure I'm uh, uh, timely in the presentation. The idea of blaming you uh, for uh, my preaching too long reminds me of a reversed circumstance I faced uh, when I was pastoring a number of years ago and a lady came to me at the door after the service shaking her finger under my nose and saying, Pastor, you be ashamed. You be ashamed. I was absent sick for three weeks. And when I came back, you didn't shake my hand. And of course, of course the response to be made to that is, uh, I don't think you shook mine either, did you? Um, but uh, I, I won't, uh, I, I restrained myself and didn't come out with that one. But um, uh, if, if uh, you listen too long, uh, you don't have to do that. I'll just leave it at that. Enough said, too much said. We have read the text there. And by the way, I'm so glad to see the Pankratz family this evening. It's always a, a wonderful day when you encounter these brothers and sisters in Christ. And uh, so thankful to see them tonight. We have noted this evening we'll be considering Christ's words, consider the ravens. And uh, I have to uh, approach it, I guess, to begin with from this standpoint. Uh, seeing is how I am from Maryland and that there is a gang of irreverent and obnoxious brutes in Maryland who call themselves the Ravens, I must make certain you understand that Christ is not talking about them at all. When he says, consider the Ravens, uh, nor am I talking about them, uh, but uh, rather uh, I trust we might gain instruction this evening as we observe what Christ said in this regard concerning the Ravens. Now. There is uh, a specific context that we have read in which Christ referenced the ravens and pointed to those fowls of the air uh, in order to point out one of their qualities which ought to be in the people of God. That is the immediate context. And so we will come to that, God willing, in the course of the message this evening. But I want to possibly violate a few homiletical rules, it won't be the first time, and uh, look at this from a little, a little broader perspective. If Christ in the New Testament said, consider the ravens, then the incidents in the Old Testament where ravens are included in the divine revelation of God would also be fair game 
that's not the way to put it, is it, would be a, a fair subject matter to focus upon uh, in our consideration tonight. So we will come to the instruction that Christ gives here. And I trust that the Spirit of God will give help to make application of that instruction to our heart, but will take a, a, a little different course to get to that instruction, and I trust uh, along the way uh, pick up instruction of other sorts as we consider the ravens. But before we go any further, let's bow before our God and beseech his help once again as we look to the word together. Shall we pray? Most holy God and gracious Father in heaven, you did not have to make yourself known unto us. We were rebels, sinners, enemies, and that innate prejudice against God and the rebellion that rises from it yet lingers within each of our breasts. We are indeed prone to wander, and our flesh lusts against the spirit, and we are prone to go astray like sheep. We beseech thee, Lord God, tonight to instruct us, even to humble us with instruction from this common and unclean creature to which our Savior refers us for instruction. And may we be taught not simply by the example of one of the creatures of the earth, but may we be taught by the Spirit of God. May there be instruction from the Almighty brought to our hearts and utterance given to proclaim that instruction and to do so clearly and effectually. And will you apply these truths unto our hearts, O Lord God, that we might be made more like the Lord Jesus Christ, that the gentleness and wonder and kindness of the Spirit of God might emanate forth more so from us, that sinners might be saved, that thy people might be fortified and the Lord Jesus glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Doubtless all of us are conscious of the fact that when God gave his word to the people of Israel, the law, that within that law there was the listing of unclean animals which they were not to eat, which in fact were to be an abomination unto them. And it's notable that in that list there are a group, is a group of birds, and the raven is one of them. What is a raven? Well, I'm not sure. I'm no ornithologist to set forth a scientific exacting description, but from the best I can see, uh, there's little difference, if any, between a raven and a crow. They're common. You see them, you hear them. If you happen to leave uh, some trash out, you might become annoyed with them. Uh, they are all around us. Unclean animals that God has created for a specific purpose and can use as he pleases. And perhaps for the humbling of we proud human beings, Christ tells us to consider the ravens. Just as the Spirit of God there in Proverbs 
gives the word, go to the ant, thou sluggard, and consider her ways. Rather humbling to be instructed by such illustrations and examples, but divine instruction nonetheless. And so as we come into the scriptures and consider this animal, this fowl of the air, over which God has given dominion in its service unto his son, the first introduction to the ravens we find, you will recall, is when Noah let one loose from the ark. The world was wicked beyond description. And the only response that God would make to such was its destruction with a horrific upheaval that was accompanied by the flood. And there in the ark, a few select people chosen by God and a selection of animals chosen by God was sheltered to be protected from the violence and destruction of the flood. And protected they were, for God oversaw their deliverance. And we know from various scriptures and from the facts with regard to the ark and the flood that in fact the ark is a beautiful picture of Christ himself. The pitch that is placed on the sides of the ark, the, the tar, the waterproofing of it is in fact the word for atonement, the covering. And by the covering of that ark, Noah and his family and all of the animals that accompanied them passed through the judgment, but with success and preservation. For they were sheltered in the ark. And the full brunt of the raging fury of the flood fell upon the ark so that those sheltered within were safe and would survive the flood. And it is such a beautiful picture and type of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. As he went through the judgment, the judgment for my sins, a judgment exacted upon my gracious substitute. And as he went to the cross of Calvary, Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned, he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. And when you consider that, all that you can say is hallelujah, what a savior. Christ, my ark. Christ, the ark of every believer who will ever be glorified. Christ, the ark pictured in Noah's ark. The floods raged for months. Noah and his family and the menagerie that were the other occupants of the flood of the ark were housed in that safety. The waters began to subside. And Noah releases two birds from the ark. Birds that are as different as birds can be. 
They're birds, yes, in that they have feathers and beaks and feet that are clawed, and they fly. But when you get beyond that, you find quite a few differences between the raven and the dove. I'll read just a brief portion from that eighth chapter of Genesis where it says that at the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made and he sent forth a raven which went to and fro until the waters were dried up from off the earth. Also, he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters were abated from off the face of the ground. But the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot, and she returned unto him into the ark, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. Do we not see, perhaps faintly, but a reflection and image in these two birds of the believer's own struggle. He is in Christ indeed. He is safe from the judgment, there is no question. In Christ he has come to rest and yet the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and there is that within us which would resemble the raven in its appetites and its ways. It said the raven was released and he flew to and fro. He didn't return back to the ark. You see, the raven, an unclean animal, feeds upon carrion, other dead animals. It's no place, no problem rather for the raven to find a place to land when there are floating corpses in the flood water and other types of debris, but not the dove. The dove looks for that which is far more, shall I say, clean, pure, undefiled. The raven went forth and would not return to the ark. And do we not find within ourselves that old nature that is carnal and desiring evil that would run from the ark rather than run to the ark? Are we not tempted by an old defiled nature which is not eradicated and will not be terminated until we are glorified? Indeed, the raven is unclean. It's a scavenger. It is unsettled to and fro upon the earth it was. It is eager for whatever there is that is there in this world. The dove, by contrast, while by its very sound, exhibits something of a gentleness and a refinement. The dove will not light upon the floating corpse that the raven would share with it. But finding no place in this world for its feet, returns to the ark. And thus the two natures of man may well be portrayed before us. I'm not trying to invent some new theology, some ravenology of sorts, but 
The picture is there and Christ says, consider the ravens and see how the raven would flee from the ark and never return and was satisfied with what the world was in its decaying corruption. Uh, But the dove, the dove wanted to come back to the ark. And so the people of God at times are tempted to the corruption of this world. But oh, may we be conscious of that fact. And I would encourage you, whenever you see a crow, and you see them, perhaps and often feeding on a carcass beside the road, understand there's something in that love of corruption that is like me. And oh Lord, ever draw me like the dove back to the ark. Bring me from my natural appetites, from my craving of corruption, from the depravity that would swallow me and that I would embrace. Bring me like the dove to Christ. There's a lesson from the raven, this unclean animal. But there's another instance in the Old Testament that you will recall that I think quite interesting. The prophet had foretold there would be a drought. A drought because of sin, the sin of the people of Israel. And God instructed him to go to the brook Cherith, where he could drink water from the brook. And God said to him, I have instructed the ravens Not instructed, but I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. And so Elijah obeys and goes to the brook Cherith. And while all of the world around him is drying up and withering, he has water that trickles from the brook. Eventually it too will dry up and God will be working his purposes through that. But until then, the prophet whom the queen would kill is sheltered and fed with ravens as his butlers. And they bring to him food every day. And he eats the food. And it's not bird food. Clearly not the rotting carcasses that a raven would usually feed upon. But it's food that sustains him and strengthens him. How wonderful that those who are the enemies of God yet will serve his own purpose. When the Apostle Paul wrote that we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to those who are called according to his purpose, he meant all things. Even the evil things that come into our life Even the assaults of the wicked one will work together for good. The victory that we will experience forever in Christ is not a victory that is won in spite of our enemies, but it's won by means of our enemies. As God makes them the instruments of his own working. 
The greatest crime in the history of humanity was the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one and only absolutely righteous and impeccable human being was crucified as a crook by thieves and liars that had him hanged there. And yet in doing so, they were accomplishing the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God while serving their own lusts to the utmost of hatred that they could generate, they were in fact being used of God to bring about that which he had ordained from before the foundations of the world. The wrath of men shall praise him. God works even by means of the assaults of his enemy and thus can tell his people that no weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. But God's people will prosper by those means. And is not this suggested to us by the fact that a foul fowl, the unclean raven, is the instrument by whom God brings nourishing meat to the hand and mouth of his prophet? He works his purposes marvelously. And gloriously. And so again, may we be trained when we see a raven to be reminded of our own natural propensities, our own dark nature, to recognize that God uses that which is unclean for his own purposes, he'll bring his purposes to pass by that means he is the sovereign Lord of all. As we quoted this morning from Psalm 8, the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea are put under his dominion. But then we come into the poetic portions of the Old Testament scripture. And after one of Job's friends, Elihu, had delivered himself of what he thought to be a great outburst of wisdom, then God speaks. And among the things that God says to Job, we read, Who provideth for the raven his food? When his young ones cry to God, they wander for lack of meat. Who provides the food for the ravens? Well, I'm tempted to say I do. I ran over a raccoon a few days ago, but that's another story. Who provides the food for the ravens? There's another text of scripture very similar from Psalm number 147 and verse 9, where it says, He giveth to the beast his food and to the young ravens which cry. Now, when you contrast the sound of a crow with the sound of a dove, it is only contrast, no comparison. The crow, unclean animal, with a raspy voice which can become annoying at times. And yet when the young ravens sound off in their cry for hunger, God feeds them. There's a lesson for all of us in that. You may think to yourself, I'm not a good prayer. The words don't come. 
I can't express myself the way some can. And discourage yourself with regard to your praying. Don't be discouraged. God hears the young ravens when they cry. And they have no angelic voice. And the rasp of their squawking is enough to drive a person to, um, to desertion at times. But God doesn't tire of it. And when those things make their sound, God hears. So the next time you hear a crow with his squawking and whatever else he does... Go to prayer. Make it a habit of your life that when a crow sounds, you're going to pray. And you'll be praying a lot of the time. And recognize that if God hears him, no matter how bad I think I sound when I pray, he'll hear me. And the ravens can be an exhortation to us unto prayer. And if... We learn from them to cry unto our God. Then we learn from them too to trust him more as the provider of all that we need. Consider the ravens. May we see our own dark nature fleeing from the ark. May we see how God uses the unclean. Not to condone it, but to make it work his purposes. May we recognize in the raven's cry a lesson on prayer. God hears them. God will hear you. Do not worry how you sound. Just sound. And he will hear. And then we come to the New Testament passage that we've read from Luke chapter 12. And the setting is this. Jesus is teaching. And a man appears in the crowd who doubtless sees Christ as something of an established teacher. The throngs are coming to him. And he clearly has authority. He can deliver people from demon possession. He can cause the lame to walk and restore sight to blinded eyes and hearing to deaf ears. And so surely this man can be enlisted in my cause that I might get my part of the inheritance that my brother is not giving over to me. And so he comes to Jesus there in Luke chapter 12. In verse number 13, it says, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And Christ responded, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? Why come to me about such a thing as this? I'm not here. To tip the scales in the favor of greed. And he proceeded then to give instruction with regard to greed. And he tells the account in verse 16 of the ground of a certain rich man that brought forth plentifully. 
And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee, then who shall these things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And with that sequence of events and teaching, Christ then turned to his disciples to speak. And you understand the disciples had been called upon to do things that the multitudes had not been called upon to do. The disciples would have to leave their professions, their source of income, and follow Jesus. And trust that indeed the laborer would be proven worthy of his hire. As Christ had told them, and we'll talk about this on, on Wednesday night, God willing, Christ had told them that they were to leave all and not to fret concerning what they would eat or drink or what they would wear. Well, this is some of that same instruction. Christ turns to them on the occasion of this man saying, Master, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Christ responding, who made me a judge? Look at this rich man who got so much and hoarded it up and didn't have barns in which to store it, so he built bigger so he could be the first recorded hoarder in history. He turns to his disciples and says, in verse number 22, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life what ye shall eat, neither for the body what ye shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? And so we have it here where it comes right down where we live. God has created each of us with an instinct to survival. And like fire, the instincts for survival is good. Fire warms us in the winter. It sterilizes our surgical equipment. It sterilizes our eating equipment. It cooks our food. What would we do without fire? But when fire gets out of control and suddenly it's controlling us, it's a great danger. That's the way greed is. We have the instinctive zeal to survival. But that can so quickly rise beyond survival 
to a greed that we might get and get and get. I don't have enough room for all of my goods and so I'm going to build bigger barns. And I'll put all of my work and my earnings aside in there and I will for the rest of my life do absolutely nothing except eat, drink and be merry. And what the rich fool didn't realize was that the rest of his life was only a few minutes. He wouldn't live long enough to use up what he had. He would leave it for his heirs to fight over like the man who had just come to Jesus and said, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And so Christ points to the raven because there's no greed in ravens. <laughs> Have you ever seen them going along the road and picking up multiple carcasses of dead animals and stacking them up somewhere to store for later. <laughs> no, that happened that way. There's no greed. They're not worried about where tomorrow's roadkill will be found. Instruction to us to consider the ravens when it comes to our view of the things of this world. For we are so easily intoxicated by stuff that will soon be gone if we don't go first. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. That was Christ's instruction to his disciples and he's putting it to them in a different way here by saying, consider the ravens. There is no greed among them. Not only is no greed among the ravens, but, you know, and I can't tell you this having spoken to one lately, but there's no anxiety that we can anticipate among the ravens. Can you imagine a crow sitting on a limb worrying about where he's going to find his next piece of whatever it is he eats? No anxiety. The apostle tells us that we are to be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let our requests be made known unto God. The disciples had been told, take no thought for your life, what you will eat, what you'll drink, what you'll wear. And he proceeds here to point to the ravens as Instruction against greed and instruction against anxiety, instruction against faithless fear. If he's going to provide for them, and he does, they're doing quite well out there, then surely he'll provide what his people need. And the point is the needs of his people far, far exceed the needs of the raven. The raven needs only that which is for its body. It has no soul. But we need that which is for our soul. And that comes alone from our God. And he is our provider, our keeper, our shield, our buckler. He is the bread upon whom we feed, the bread of life sent down by God from heaven above. And by the raven, we're instructed to look unto him. 
And the Lord goes on to ask them, how can you by taking thought add one cubit to your stature? Now, we're all aware that by thoughtlessness we can add certain directions to our being. But as far as adding a cubit or an inch to our stature, um, uh, the the point is uh, we're all kind of sinking there. And with regard to what we wear, well, the lilies in the field do not have any spinning wheels from which to spin out thread that might then be woven together on a loom to make fabric cloth from which to make their apparel. And yet Solomon, great King Solomon, arrayed in all of his royal regalia, was not as well-dressed as the lily of the field. That, too, is connected with this consider the ravens. And so as we look at Christ and creatures and consider the instruction he gives to us from them, there's much to be learned. God make us conscious of that nature within us that is so prone to evil and may we ever flee back like the dove to the ark. God make us aware that midst the worst of circumstances, God can use the unclean, dirty raven to feed his chosen and feed them well. Let's rejoice in what he brings. Let us recognize that though the raven's voice is an unpleasant squawk to have to hear, it's not unpleasant to our maker when the young ravens cry, and so we can cry out to him in confidence and expectation as well. And when we are tempted to think that this world has something to offer us, greed to grab more, anxiety because we don't have what we think we should, let us consider the raven. God provides for them, and we are of more value than the ravens. God gave his son to redeem us to himself. That is the value his people have to him. Let's bow together as we pray. Our God and our Father in heaven, We thank you that there's not a sparrow that falls but what you see it and that we are of more value than many sparrows, that the ravens that cry are fed by the one who sustains all life and the ravens without greed, without anxiety, without self-reliance are provided for bountifully. Grant that these truths might dominate our own thinking, our own approach to life. And may every crow that we see and hear be a reminder to pray, a reminder to race unto our Savior's refuge, the ark, 
A reminder that God sovereignly works through even such things as that to keep his people sustained. And a reminder to forsake anxiety and to loathe greed that we might look unto thee alone as our keeper and our provider. Apply these truths effectually to our hearts for your glory and our good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.